On this week's episode, I sit down with Martin McPhillamy, breath, sleep and stress scientist. We discuss the importance of sleep for physical and mental health, how to effectively reduce stress in your life and why breath work is the key to reducing anxiety. Welcome to the Mal Mastery Podcast. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Damien. Appreciate you uh, having me on. It's been a bit of a challenge to get this conversation going, but as a person who uh, manages stress, it's no concern. <laughs> it certainly has been, but look, the, the joys, I mean, you're coming to me from Perth in Australia, is that right? Yeah, I'm currently seven hours ahead of you, so and it's with- the end of my day, start of your day. Exactly. So with all of the um, sodding around that we've had to do with getting everything all set up, I need you to ease my stress. So let's just jump straight (laughs) into this. Um, You're a breath, sleep and stress expert based over in Australia. Um, One of the problems that we've got in the world at the moment is that everybody is extremely stressed. And I think that seems Mm. to increase year on year with more apps, more technology, more social media. How did you arrive to be where you're at at the moment uh well essentially it's i've always been fascinated with the human body and um uh, that's kind of what i was good at in school it was just a an attachment to trying to better myself physically and mentally ever since i was younger but it really it kicked off in terms of getting into the breath science when i was at university and um i ended up doing some research in 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 that area with athletes and trying to improve recovery but then that led to a respiratory and sleep scientist and eventually a a 10-year career in that now across that 10-year career i pretty much observed most people who had breathing issues and they didn't really have anywhere to go to other than a gp who would give them medication or they would go to a psychologist or they get recommended to a psychologist and a lot of people didn't want to go to a psychologist there wasn't many avenues to go down so i thought well i can help people understand their body and their physiology better and therefore improve their stress and their mental health as well so it's obviously been a conscious effort on your part i mean one of the things that i think i don't know what it's like in australia but i should imagine it's relatively similar to here in the uk and europe is that everybody talks about uh, physical exercise everyone talks about mindset and then obviously further down the chain we've got meditation but the importance of breath work is absolutely paramount some would argue or at least i would say some experts would argue more important than meditation itself where do you feel or should i say why do you feel that breath work often gets overlooked when it comes to fitting into somebody's lifestyle i think it's because breathing is an unconscious process and people don't pay attention to it so because there's no attention on breathing people are not aware of how they're breathing day to day so like you're talking about breath work and there's also the breathing aspect of it as well. So there's a practice, but there's also everyday day to day behavior. Now, as a practice, obviously, it's been very traditional kind of Eastern um, traditions like meditation has. But meditation's kind of come through because of the science. Well, the science hasn't really caught up with the, 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 the ancient kind of traditions yet. Well, we are at a phase now because of the likes of Wim Hof and James Nestor's book on breath has kind of caused the uproar in terms of, well, actually there's a healing modality that we have here to improve our wellness and to improve our um, mental health. And obviously then we also had COVID happen, which is a breathing related disease that's come with anxiety. So everyone's at the current moment, it seems there's a curve that's kind of on the edge of being upwards in terms of breath. But I think it mostly is because we take breathing for granted, like we used to take sleep for granted until you know, five years ago with Matthew Walker. So there's, there's a combination of a, a fair few different things. 
And I want to touch upon something. So I know a lot of people in the fitness industry, and I forget who it was. It might have been a friend of mine, James Cooper. And we were speaking about when people first start off in trying to overhaul their lifestyle, quite often or not, you'll get somebody that's maybe out of shape, out of condition. And all of a sudden, they just start to go and pound the pavements with running and they carry an excess weight. And they actually touched upon the fact that Everybody jumps straight into running, but very few people without training know how to run correctly in Mm. the sense that they haven't necessarily got the posture, the footwork, the alignment. Do you think that's the same with people that unconsciously breathe? I think there is a, a, uh, a similar aspect to it in terms of there's a function and a dysfunction. You know, uh, my my friend Brian McKenzie often says that people don't run, they learn how to f- stop them from falling. Mm. Well, there's a similar aspect. With, with breathing, what happens is we have you know, a particular behavior that we're born with that is a natural way that we should breathe. But then we might have uh, traumas or anxiety attacks or panic or high, constant levels of stress, which is going to alter the pattern of our breath. Now, because the breath is so closely associated with the nervous system, the two interact directly. And the nervous system is what entrains behavioral responses in the body. So if we have something that alters the nervous system, either through a massive impact, such as trauma, or long-term, then it's going to shift our breathing pattern. Now, the breath pattern is also related to the biochemistry in the body in terms of trying to regulate your acidity and your alkaline, your pH level. If the pH level goes out of whack for for more than five days, your body will compensate that and will change your breathing and cause it to be fixed so that your breathing will actually, the, the, the mechanics and the chemistry of your breath will change if the stress is on for too long. So if we are to come, for example, if say, for example, you know, someone does have COVID and they have COVID and they have, maybe they have anxiety related to the COVID as well, or anxiety related to the state that people have been in. If they are over-breathing, they're breathing too fast because of the disease state, and they have it for more than a week, that might lead to a compensation where later on down the line is they have a shift in their breathing and they have to shift in their uh, metabolism in their body. That has now been suggested as the number one reason why a lot of people have long COVID and fatigue issues is because their breathing was altered during that phase. I mean, I would say the likes of Wim Hof have made breathing exercises uh, quite fashionable. I know a lot of people that have gone out and have trained with him, practiced with him and come back and have got rave reviews. But I think we just take breathing uh, for granted in the fact that, well, if you're alive, you're breathing. So obviously we must be breathing okay. Does breathing get affected with lifestyle choices? We've touched upon the COVID, Um, smoking, heavy drinking, obesity. Are things like that impactful for the way that you breathe? Yeah. I mean, while obviously smoking causes lung issues, so it causes COPD um, uh, in a fair few people, which is an obstructive lung disease. So therefore, people do get lung issues with that. The other one you mentioned was uh, obesity. Uh, Yes, obesity is going to uh, lead to under-breathing. Uh, so you don't breathe enough, but also to things like sleep apnea at nighttime, which is a breathing-related issue during your sleep. And the nature of obesity, you have shifts in your nervous system and the hormones that's also going to affect how you're breathing as well and therefore shift biomechanically in the body of how you physically breathe, which causes a different behavior. And and even, yeah, just everyday exposure to stresses or feeling of anxiety. Anxiety is a, is often thought as a mind issue, but it's a mind-body issue. That's It's, it's a yeah. separation between the two. 
And at the center of that is the breath. There's a direct correlation between anxiety state and the, 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 the rate of breathing. The more anxious you are, the faster you breathe. The faster you breathe, the more anxious you get. So it's almost a vicious cycle. It is. It is a vicious cycle of, of people getting caught in that. So that's where I come in and work with people to shift their breathing behavior. And when they actually change that breathing behavior and improve it, then the anxiety goes. And it's like, okay, okay well, it has a huge impact on, on the mind-body connection. So let's touch upon something where we're both connected now. And I want to bring in breath, sleep and testosterone replacement therapy. Now, I'm not springing something on you because I don't imagine you might be aware of testosterone replacement therapy. It's something that I'm exploring more and more, and I'm getting a lot of content out to the guys at Malmastery. However, the connection or one of the detrimental effects of testosterone replacement therapy, a potential side effect, is sleep apnea. Can you Mm. explain what sleep apnea is and obviously how people who are experiencing that can overcome it and the type of work that you do to eradicate that? Yeah, I mean, sleep apnea obviously is is a a sleep disordered breathing issue where the airways are relaxing too much and that's causing people's airways to collapse during their sleep. That can happen from anywhere from five times an hour up to i've seen it 150 times an hour on people wow. and there's there's categories between low moderate and high in terms of the the severity of it but really what you're doing is, is that you're because your airways are relaxing you then struggle to breathe during your sleep oxygen levels can start to fall which is then going to make your your, your your brain wake up through an activation of the stress response so that leads to poor quality sleep the, the sleep gets very fragmented so people might feel very fatigued lethargic in the morning um, like they wake up with a dry mouth. They've probably been told that they snore often. They might have problems with memory, uh, even or mental health uh, problems associated with anxiety. So it really depends on the 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 severity of the the sleep apnea. But generally, if you're in a moderate, uh, low to moderate severity, then you can do things such as retrain your breathing. So you can look at those sort of things. Obviously, you want to have correct weight management. Um, you want to be looking at managing your stress appropriately so that you can can get your, your circadian hormones and your sleep conditions in the same position, getting on a, 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 a pattern that is kind of a healthy form of how your hormones should be expressing. Um, and then obviously, if it's severe or very severe, then we're, you're more so looking at the CPAP type therapy machines that you would need to keep your airways open. Now, there's a negative association with wanting to wear those machines at night, which is understandable who wants to do that. But the benefits outweigh the risks when it becomes a uh, you know, a, a severe issue that um, needs to be rectified because the issues on the, the problem was associated with increased risk of stroke and heart disease and diabetes. Uh, it's 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 worth just wearing a pl- couple of plugs up your nose just to keep your airways open so you can breathe versus yeah. the, uh, the the negative outcomes i mean i've seen some there's a, a friend of joe rogan's joey diaz he says that he suffers with severe sleep apnea and it got to the point that he has to wear the kind of full i think it's the mask or something like but it, again mm-hmm. it's that it's that being uncomfortable and still staying alive there's you know there's not much of a balance there is there so it's a bit of a no-brainer but I've also seen some of these biohackers out there and I think one of the guys that I see was actually taping up his mouth when he went to sleep so he was breathing through his Mm -hmm. nose is that just a stupid biohacker 
um, trying to get clout on social media, or is there any kind of science? Back? I mean, the, the, if you were going to science backed, then there's limited evidence to suggest it works. If we go into evidence and science, if we go in anecdotal evidence, then there is, uh, you know, James Nestor in his book wrote about the experiment that he did. He plugged up his nose with you know, some kind of cement and then got sleep apnea and then removed it and then taped his mouth and sleep apnea went. Um, so that's an anecdote there. We There is, obviously I'm in the breath space, so I see a lot of it on social media. A lot of people talking about taping their mouth and improving their sleep quality. We know that breathing through the mouth at nighttime increases the risk of having sleep apnea. Your jaw is more likely to fall back. Your tongue's more likely to fall back. And just the way the, the, the features within the airway actually, um, you know, how you breathe when your mouth's open does increase the risk. So taping the mouth and breathing through the nose, our learning to breathe through the nose as a habit, which, which I try to train people to do, you know, ingrain it as a behavior unconsciously, will improve the sleep quality. However, this is what uh, you have to be mindful of. Again, if you've got someone who is severely overweight or has diabetes or, or some form of um, you know, heart problem and they have sleep apnea and you tape their mouth and that's the only way they can then breathe when they have an apnea, you're going to cause serious problems down the line. So it's about the right person with the right features at the right time choosing to do that. So, so someone like yourself, like, you know, you're not, you don't have a massive neck, you're not massively overweight. You know, I, I don't know if you have sleep apnea, but if it was only low, low to moderate then or or just you know, moderate to high, then it might be worth taping your mouth to see whether your sleep quality does improve. I, w I wouldn't say a general recommendation for everyone to try that, certainly not on a public podcast. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, for me, I, I looked at that and I thought that's a little bit weird. I'd, I'd almost feel, I don't know, slightly claustrophobic with that in a, in a kind of weird way, only being able to breathe yeah. through the nose. Yeah. I want to focus more on some solutions as well. Uh, but before I do, in terms of there's such a thing that's become quite a, uh, should I say, bigger thing over the last five, six, seven years, I think, in the whole kind of lifestyle personal development space, sleep hygiene. And I think what most people mm -hmm. mean by that is what is what is your are you sleeping healthily, optimizing your sleeping conditions what advice would you give to somebody that's potentially looking to improve the quality of their sleep in terms of what can they do in the lead up before bedtime? Yeah, I think when it comes to obviously uh, those sleep hygiene practices, if we're talking specifically lead up to bedtime, then the, the the main thing is is that you know we want to follow the pattern of natural light as much as possible because that's what entrains our circadian rhythm. It's what helps us create a change in hormones and the melatonin release is that the darkness comes in set. So if you've got, you know, it's starting to sunset five, six, seven o'clock over in the UK. I know in the summer it's a lot later. Just start to dim down the lights in the in, in the house. Don't have every, everything on that's you know, super bright. And try and create it so that you're you're changing your environment. So let's say, for example, you wanted to create an environment of safety or, or environment of relaxation. You can have some calm and music on. You can have um uh no a nice scent like like a you know a lavender or something that might make you feel relaxed and just create a routine of three or four habits that are consistent so you create a structure of your evening so that your brain is aware of the process to um that your next step is going to sleep now a lot of people are obviously they struggle to sleep because of high stress or because they're feeling anxious um, or their minds racing. So then having like a down regulation practice in the evening, just to maybe just a few slow, deep breaths, just for five minutes, just before you go to bed is going to help enable, create a routine habit before you can go to bed. 
And I'm gathering that the knock-on effect for the quality of your sleep as well, as we know, but sometimes people need to rehear kind of common sense, but things like eating late at night, uh, high sugar diet, processed foods, all of that has a knock-on effect to the quality of the sleep, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't really digest any food in the first uh, four or five hours of actually sleeping. So when we have a significantly large meal, then it's just going to make us feel uncomfortable. But also the, the every, every hormone that's released in the body is having an effect on um, your overall system. Like, you, you know, your, your body isn't trained to be in a routine pattern of hormones. So if you if you have a large meal before bed, it's kind of tricking the brain to say it's like earlier on in the day and that we're still trying to consume and and um um and know and, and absorb nutri- nutrients and therefore we might have more activity to go on the day that's a you know a label we could probably put on it so the decisions that we do make prior leading up to going to sleep is going to really impact our sleep and the worst one is 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 being on your mobile phone or being on your you know in, in front of your computer screen all the way leading up to bed and then people put the phone down and all they can think about is work or you know, social media or or just lay there feeling wide awake because they've had this light in their eyes, just buzzing in their eyes. So I also had a guy called James Swanick on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, you've probably heard of him and he has been promoting the alcohol-free lifestyle. I don't even Mm. think we need to touch upon the detrimental effects of alcohol and sleep. But just for the listeners out there, if you think that you can go out, have a skin full, come back, you pass out and wake up 10 hours later in the morning, that doesn't constitute a good night's sleep, even though you might have slept right the way through. But can you explain to us why that sleep isn't quality? Yeah, sure. Uh, at the end of the day, alcohol is a, a a sedative, really. It's a no, it's a it's a depressant. So it makes people initially feel quite relaxed. You know, I'm I'm, I'm partial to have a couple of beers, but usually after I've had a couple of beers, I'll, if I'm on the sofa, you'll want to fall asleep. However, the way that alcohol breaks down in the body is that it, when it does break down, it then becomes a bit of a stimulant. So it's almost like your brain goes through a process of going. Um, uh, no, down in terms of its level of arousal, then up, then down, then it's up. So often, even just having two or three beers and you go to, you know, you go to fall asleep, sometimes you just wake up a lot more often during the night. And that's because the brain is becoming more aroused. But then discussing the, you know, the the impact that we had uh, with discussion on sleep apnea as well is that it's going to relax the muscles of the airways more when we have alcohol. And that's going to lead to more snoring and more sleep apnea and more issues with your breathing during your sleep. So generally alcohol, whilst it's typically for traditionally maybe years back that it's a good to have a nightcap. Nowadays, it's uh, it's it's, you know, it's really is just detrimental to sleep quality. So I've got the aura ring and i use the app to track my sleep now i know it's not perfect but i think it's a good indicator to your sleep habits and the sleep patterns we've got rem sleep and deep sleep can you explain to the Mm -hmm. listeners the difference between the two and is there one more important than the other they both have different impacts so obviously deep sleep is a part of what we call non-rem sleep Uh, within that phase we have one two and three so stage three would be the the, the deepest level of sleep and it's just that's when our hormones are released in our body to really supply energy towards um uh, uh like restoration of muscles clearing out of waste in the brain and um to generally get the body and brain a, a, a deep level of rest 
Whereas REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement, is more so when our brain's quite active and uh, we're going through that dream states and we are uh, we're essentially getting like a bit of a, an emotional therapy related to the stresses and occurrences out of the day. They get kind of uh, you know, embedded through dreams and through processes in the brain to make us not re reactive and responsive to them. And um, REM sleep is also important for memory and learning. So you can't really say one is better than the other because they both have different functions. So it really depends on the the individual um, uh, that you're that you're working with. Like an athlete, for example, who's going through a phase of heavy workouts might want to get more deep sleep than the REM sleep. Whereas if they're trying to learn skill acquisition, you might want more REM sleep than deep sleep. So it's um, but then you're not really going to be aiming for that. You're just generally aiming for overall quality of sleep. Okay, so the connection between sleep, stress, and also our mental health. Now, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there that at the moment seem to be in a vicious cycle is in the fact that they don't follow necessarily a fantastic diet. They may be working a very busy job. They're entrepreneurs. They're eating late at night. They're up on their laptop looking at their phone until they go to bed. The knock-on effect to your performance and productivity the next day, I think we all know, is Mm. huge um in terms of somebody going to sleep waking up and it having a knock-on effect what's the connection with poor sleep and poor mental health yeah i mean there's a there's a massive link between poor sleep and and and, and you know, anxiety depression panic disorder and 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 all those conditions that we see in you know outside of the hospitals of mental health you know day-to-day -day things and if we're thinking about the brain and the way that the brain works is that we have at the front, we've got this uh, you know, prefrontal cortex that is the, the human brain that's the rationalizer, that's the storyteller. That kind of acts as a bit of a filter for the information that you receive from the external to allow yourself to make some sense of it. Whereas in the um, in the middle of the brain, we have this little nugget of of of, um, of brain called the amygdala, which is basically our threat response system. It's our fear response. Now the two are connected, but what the prefrontal cortex is doing is it's it's allowing for regulation of that fear center or you know, that stress center of our brain. When we get poor quality sleep or a lack of sleep consistently, then the connection between the two is kind of it's severed in a way, so that your ability to have control of your stress and control of your anxiety is just significantly impaired. So then for you're increasing the risk of driving from a re fear response. So you're more reactive rather than responsive means that you can you know it's going to impact your decision making. It's going to heighten the level of uh, sympathetic nervous activity that we have. So it's going to heighten the stress response, which then alters perception to seek out more threat so again, it becomes a bit of a loop pattern in terms of poor sleep creates more uh, anxiety in the body. The, the brain then interprets more anxiety in the world and therefore feeds back into more anxiety in the body, therefore feeds back into poor quality sleep. So you can see how that can get in a vicious cycle as well and people can get trapped in it. And that's where we see things like stress-related insomnia. So I've got the million-dollar question. How many hours should we be sleeping? If you were to take just a normal range of individuals and a healthy person, you'd say seven to nine hours is ideal. If you were to take a top performer or someone who is anxious and overstressed on the burnout, I would say it's more to eight to 10 hours. You, those individuals need more recovery. If you're putting more effort in 
into your life or it feels like more efforts in you having to put more effort in because of perception of stress or anxiety then you need more recovery for that because we have a base of what we call a reserve capacity which is basically our you know our ability to think our ability to recover in our in our body but also recover psychologically as well so the level of stress that we can take is dependent on that reserve capacity now under under sleeping is essentially chronic stress in the body. It's exactly the same as of how it looks in the nervous system. If you don't get good quality sleep, your nervous system is just in a state of chronic stress. I was out, this is probably going back about three, four years ago, and I was at this mastermind. There's a lot of entrepreneurs there, a lot of business people, and everyone was talking about their kind of productivity hacks, time management, lifestyle optimization. And there was one guy there that said, well, I only need four to five hours sleep a night. That's me done. You know, I call bullshit on that. And I said, well, you may be able to survive on four to five hours, mm. but it doesn't mean that you're optimized. Now, he swore blind that that's all he needed. And then mm. as more and more people started to question and say, well, you know, science doesn't back that up. He then come out with, well, I can always make it up at the weekend. And I call bullshit on that. Was I right in doing so? Because if you're sleeping four to five hours, Monday through to Friday, and then 12 to 14 hours on a Saturday or a, a Sunday, it, the experience, and I had a guy on, doc, it's a guy from uh, California, Dr. Bruce something, a sleep expert. He called bullshit on that and said that just because it doesn't matter the amount of hours, it's how those hours are almost produced, if that makes sense. What's your view on kind of making up sleep at the weekend? Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with, if we've, we've calling bullshit on a, on, on a few things there. I've worked with many people who are, you know, have that same mindset and it becomes more so of an attachment to the number of hours of work they people that they believe they're putting in. Whereas like, you know, productivity is not the number of hours you can work and the number of hours you can sit behind a laptop or stay up or meetings you can have. It's you know, how, it's how much actual turnover you can make or profit you can make in a business. If you're talking about productivity for a business. Um, so people, people get driven, get attached to thinking that less sleep means more hours to work. And therefore now they're a type A individual or they're an individual who thinks they're going to be successful with that. And that is quite challenging to change. So what then people might say is at the weekend, well, I can catch up with it again. It's just an excuse to say, I, I'm just going to stick to my poor limiting beliefs and my behaviors. Like that's how I see that and see it roll out with most people. Look, if you didn't get that, then have those long hours sleep in the weekend, you would just feel even more worse. So, yes, they might have a little bit of a benefit, but overall to the well-being of the individual or the, well, the, or the health of the individual, it's just not going to be beneficial because, again, it's just not aligning with how physiology works and how biology works, which is following patterns related to nature. And they are sleep and sight, dark and light cycles and you know feeding cycles and and moving cycles and if they shift drastically throughout the week because we changed more at the weekend compared to how we're doing it in the, in the week then it's just going to be detrimental in uh, no long term i completely agree the other question i've got for you uh, before we move on from uh, from sleep blue light blocking glasses are they worth the money and are they worth looking like a plonker when you're out and about <laughs> Uh, when you're out on the belt, uh, probably not. But when you're sat at home, if you wanted to do some work whilst the sun's set or in the evening and you just have to get something finished and you pop them on to protect you from you know, the blue lights of your screen, 
then um, yeah, potentially I think there will be a can be a benefit from there. And some of the science says yes, some of the science says no. It's 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 still hit or miss with with the blue blockers. And what about supplements? We hear I've heard many people claim that melatonin supplements are good. I've heard other mm. sleep experts disagree and say no, they're not. They're actually better for old people who are suffering with issues with their circadian rhythm. What's your view? Yeah, I think um well number one I'm not a doctor so I don't want to you know make medical claims but from what the literature does suggest is that um you know melatonin can help people in a way of like placebo some people take it and they get benefit it can help people to shift their circadian rhythm if they want to move their sleeping patterns say for example if they're traveling um you know every few weeks and they were trying to shift that pattern as they settle down but it doesn't really see that melatonin does have a, a positive effect in terms of actually improve improving sleep because most of the time it's not due to circadian rhythms with with a lot of people. It's due to stress, anxiety, or just poor behaviors around their sleep routine. The other side of the things, then we do have some supplements. So we know like magnesium can help assist with relaxation and um, uh, reducing nervous system activity and therefore can help people assist and get to sleep and there are other, other other supplements out there such as ashwagandha that can bring down cortisol levels that can obviously can promote reduction in stress that can improve sleep as well and then we've got things such as a, a, a gaba which is a, you know, a neurotransmitter that's released in the brain at night time to cause uh, the brain to go into a bit more of a sleepy um, inhibitory state so there's a few things that we people can take uh the probably the, the best person to, to to listen to in terms of sleep uh, supplements i think uh, you know, andrew huberman's probably done a fair few uh, podcasts on that sort of stuff so i'd recommend people to listen to that yeah very knowledgeable guy i mean he puts out some fantastic content scientifically backed mm. and he's one of the peter atier as well i'm a big fan yeah, yeah. of him uh friend of tim ferris and i think these guys now that are coming to the forefront of kind of lifestyle optimization sleep um and longevity it goes quite often or not against a lot of what we've been brought up and led to believe old research, you know, archaic NHS white papers that have been out there, you know, and things like that. I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we could go down, uh, not for this podcast. I want to touch upon now sleep can have poor sleep can have a knock on effect to your stress levels. Stress levels have got such a detrimental effect on your entire lifestyle. Do you know um, the negative effects that stress has on your testosterone levels? It's not something that I've studied massively, but that said, you know, if I'm to, to try and to, to think of, you know, chronic stress is going to lead to uh inflammation in the body and inflammation obviously is a, an alteration in your immune system which is going to have an impact on your alteration in your hormone system as well so i i wouldn't be surprised if chronic stress is you know is a is a is a contributor to reduced uh testosterone well in fact the the hpa axis which is one of the axes of the the stress response also connects to the gonads so that's obviously where we're going to get the production of testosterone so yes, there is probably actually a direct link, but that's without looking at the, the the literature. That's just me looking, thinking in my head the systems that are connected together. So you could probably tell me you've probably maybe looked into it yourself, but there probably is some vast literature out there to suggest that chronic stress is going to lead to testosterone, just from the basis from my understanding of physiology. 
Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to get your kind of take on it as a sleep expert as well, because again, there's always that kind of yeah, count, I mean, counter the, argument, isn't there? If if yeah, if we're if we're talking about sleep, then obviously we know that definitely having less than seven hours. Um, I think it's. I think they could. I think they did a study where they compared people who had. Uh, I think it was like seven to eight or seven to nine hours of sleep. And then people who had uh, five to six hours sleep and it was in males and it was males, the age around about average age of about 40 years old. And I think those who slept less than six hours had the the testosterone levels of someone who is 10 years senior than them. Yeah. So I've that's the that. effect that it can have. I want to touch upon stress and supplements. As you've just mentioned, there are some supplements out there. I'm a big fan of the natural supplements to uh, help with sleep. Any particular supplements that you would recommend for stress? Yeah, I mean, the only one that I can really think off the top of my head, because because I'm, I'm not much of a supplement person, I'm a behavioral person. Supplements comes last to me in, my, in, 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 in what I do. But like no, like I said, the ashwagandha, it seems to be a, a, a herb that is, um, has been used in traditional teas for years, but it, it does seem to have a positive effect on bringing down cortisol levels. And particularly cortisol at nighttime, which obviously then can help assist in, in, in getting good quality sleep. But the thing with ashwagandha is, is that you can take it for too long. So you don't want really to be taking it for too long, for, for longer than 12 weeks, because then it can start to have um, uh, no by effect, uh, byproduct effects on there that you don't really want to have. Now, a good quality ashwagandha is, would, it would be something that can positively influence stress levels. But I want to touch upon what you've just mentioned as well. And this is for all the listeners out there is that supplements, I completely agree with you. They should be the last thing that you should be looking at. I think far too many people out there are looking for that magic pill. It's, mm. you know, what can help me with the stress? What can help me with my sleep? Rather than addressing the behavioral and lifestyle patterns that they're living on a day-to-day -day basis. Because again, we're in that, you know, technology-led kind of era where everybody just wants that magic pill. How can I get ripped? How can I lose weight? How can I sleep like a monk? How can I reduce my stress levels and things like that? And it is people's diet, sleep pattern. It all follows in a cycle. And I just want to stress to you guys out there that, you know, this is the reason that I'm bringing experts like uh, Martin onto the podcast is to explain to you that, you know, just going out and buying the magic pill off of social media because some influencers recommending it doesn't actually, it, you know, in the majority of cases actually have that much of an effect. It's everything else that your lifestyle consists of that's going to have the knock-on effect. Now, Martin, I'm aware that time's running down now um what does your evening routine look like yourself my evening routine for i mean for the last three or four years i've i've been sleeping great because i've spent so much time being out in nature and that just helps um uh just generally with your your like i, I was traveling the world for a long time so just being under the stars and being outside was fantastic for my sleep but I, I guess when I was struggling with anxiety and struggling with insomnia myself it was I would set myself uh, I'd have a chamomile tea or put a chamomile tea which again is a herbal a herb that can actually induce maybe a bit more calm in the body I'd then uh, do some slow breathing with some very calming music on and I'd do that whilst I was stretching my muscles to just to kind of relax my muscles as well and that would be the three things that I would then do that before then rolling into bed. And that would just be a, you know, a beautiful routine for me to just to feel um, really calm, really relaxed and grounded. 
Now, that's another thing that I just want to mention to the listeners as well, is that the majority of the guests that I get on this podcast are actually problem solvers, but they're problem solvers because they've solved their own problems. Mm. You know, there are business coaches out there that have never run a business before. I question their ability. You're coming Mm. from a place of personal experience and overcoming your own challenges and obstacles, and you've then become an expert within your industry there. So that's that's a big thing in my eyes, is that Mm. when you've suffered with something yourself you know i'm trying to get more into the trt space because i've recently been um you know diagnosed with low testosterone i think when you've got that personal journey and that added interest in something it just makes you go that little bit further and becoming a specialist at what you do so how can people get hold of you if they're experiencing stress sleep issues because i should imagine a lot of the entrepreneurs a lot of the business owners out there are going to listen to this and want to improve upon it so how can they reach you yeah if you mean if you google performance through health that's the name of my business or my or my name you're you're going to find me across everywhere on, on on the internet because i've been posting content for for over four years so just google that and you'll find me fantastic and my last question that i ask all of my guests what's your definition of success moving towards a vision for the greater good short and sweet i like it martin thank you for coming on the podcast no worries. thanks damien guys i hope you enjoyed this episode as always i appreciate your support in helping me build mal mastery into the success that it is In addition to this podcast, I've recently launched the Mal Mastery YouTube channel, which covers everything from lifestyle optimization, mindset and performance, entrepreneurship, lifestyle design, and everything testosterone. If you get value from the content that I put out on this podcast, I'd appreciate you leaving me a review on your preferred podcast platform, which helps me build the brand and reach more men. Remember, you only live once, so make it count.